Hi everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study. As always in this podcast, we take a look at the gospel reading from today's Mass and we want to give you the tools to help you work out what the original author was trying to communicate to their original audience. So we're going to attempt to provide an exegesis of the literal sense of the text. And today we're looking at Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 to 11. Now, this is the Palm Sunday reading, and it's worth emphasizing that at Palm Sunday, there's actually two gospel readings. There's one shorter gospel reading during the entrance procession of the Mass, and that's the one we're going to look at. That's Matthew chapter 21. And then later in the Mass, it's that really long Passion of the Lord gospel reading where there's people playing different parts, reading the gospel, and that goes on for quite a while. That's a very long reading. So we're doing the shorter reading for Palm Sunday from Matthew chapter 21. When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village facing you, and immediately you will find an ass tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Sion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on an ass, and on a colt, the foal of an ass. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the ass and the colt, and put their garments on them, and he sat thereon. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So quite a well-known reading, and there's a lot going on underneath the text here. So let's jump into it. The context here is it appears to be the Sunday before what we know as Good Friday, Jesus' crucifixion day. So it's five days before uh, Good Friday. And since scholars have been able to work out Pretty much, we're pretty certain we know the crucifixion date now, which would be April 3rd of 33 AD. The date we're talking about here for Palm Sunday was Sunday, March 29th, AD 33. So we have the date when this happened. And people have arrived to Jerusalem from all over Israel because they're all there to prepare for the Passover, which we know occurred on Good Friday. The law required that Jews must arrive in Jerusalem seven days before Passover in order to do ritual washings. We've talked about that on the podcast before. So the pilgrims have all arrived seven days before the feast. They're all here on Palm Sunday. So the city would be swelling with people as it does today at Passover. And probably a whole lot of the people in Jerusalem are anxiously waiting for Jesus to come. We know from John's gospel that people are asking, I wonder if Jesus is going to come up for the feast. So the city is full, it's overflowing, and there's a lot of anticipation. 
So verse 1, when they drew near to Jerusalem, so they're coming to Jerusalem from the area of Jericho, that's where he just was. And that's about two days journey away. So they make the two day journey to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage. Now, why does Matthew mention Bethphage? He doesn't have to, but it's probably because of the meaning of the word Bethphage. Bethphage is this small village nearby, and it means house of unripe figs. House of unripe figs. And Matthew probably mentions that to prepare his readers for something that else is about to happen in this chapter, which is the parable of the unripe... Sorry, the parable of the fig tree. So Matthew has probably mentioned that deliberately. And they come up to the Mount of Olives. So that's where Bethphage is located. It's located on this big Mount of Olives, which is just east of Jerusalem. If you're on top of the Mount of Olives, you can look down and see Jerusalem. It's quite an amazing view. So Matthew deliberately meant, again, Matthew goes out of his way to mention certain things um, about what Jesus is doing and where he is that we might not see as significant, but certainly his Jewish audience would have. So he's mentioned the Mount of Olives because by that time in history, the Mount of Olives had become associated with the Messiah. So Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4 to 9, describes how God would one day, on this great day of the Messiah, he would defend Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and become king over all the earth. So that's in reference to God, but it was sort of attached to the Messiah as well. So the Mount of Olives was a significant prophetic location. So Jesus sends two disciples and he's going to give them a small task. He says, go into the village facing you. So we're talking here about, we shouldn't imagine that they're going into Jerusalem. That's not where they get the ass from. They're going into a small village nearby. Now that could be Bethphage, the village that was just mentioned, or it could be another small unnamed village some sort of small village on the outskirts of Jerusalem, which could be seen from the mountain. Jesus points out the village and says, go there. Now think about what's, there's a lot of interesting stuff here in terms of Jesus sending them to get the ass and the colt. The first thing to notice is he's clearly using supernatural abilities here because he's able to describe to the disciples exactly what they'll find when they enter the village. So probably God has provide, uh, providentially arranged for the ass and the colt to be there ready for Jesus. This has all been set up beforehand. So Jesus says to the two disciples, immediately you will find an ass tied. So an ass is a donkey and donkeys were often owned by people in villages. They were quite useful for carrying things. And this one here is a female mother donkey. Now, the mention of the donkey, again, is significant because in 2 Samuel 15, David, King David, he got on an ass on the Mount of Olives when he's fleeing Jerusalem. So, there's a time when David has to run away from Jerusalem. On the Mount of Olives, he gets on an ass and runs away. And this, the scholars Davies and Allison say this, If David went from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives amid cries of lamentation, Jesus, the son of David, goes from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem amid shouts of jubilation. So there probably is a parallel here with Jesus getting on uh, the ass on the Mount of Olives just like David did, except with the reverse. It's a time of exaltation and jubilation, not sadness. 
So Jesus continues his instructions, you'll also find a colt with her. So a colt was a baby donkey. Often, well, the question is, why is he asked for two animals? Because he only needs one. There's a couple of explanations. Firstly, colts, baby donkeys were often kept with their mothers while they're still being trained. So it could just be a matter of Jesus doesn't want to separate the mother from the child donkey. And that's certainly possible. But as some scholars have pointed out, there's a couple of prophecies in the Old Testament, particularly this Zechariah one, the most famous one that we'll look at shortly, but also in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10 to 11, which is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. Both of these prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament mention both a mother donkey, an ass, as well as a colt. So it seems like these prophecies have set up that the Messiah is going to be associated with both an ass and a colt. So Jesus is deliberately fulfilling that. He says, untie them and bring them to me. Now, apparently this isn't stealing because it seems that in some way Jesus has a claim on these animals, which is quite striking. Now, the fact even that Jesus requests animals to ride is pretty unusual because he hasn't actually ridden any animals at all in his ministry, as far as we know, up to this point. And most pilgrims don't enter the city that way. They just walk in by foot. So Jesus clearly is doing something specific. He's setting this scene up in a very specific way. He's trying to do something with a specific purpose. Verse 3, he says, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and he will send them immediately. So Jesus here is saying to the disciples, If you go into the village and you try and take the donkey and people tell you why you're taking them, then say the Lord has need of them. Now, this could mean one of two things, because there's some ambiguity about the word the Lord. It could refer either to God or to Jesus. So if it refers to Jesus, then apparently the people in this village all believe in Jesus. And so when the disciples say the Lord has need of them, they say, okay, that's fine. Jesus can have them. Or maybe the Lord refers to God. And so in that case, the people in the village are faithful Jews and they're happy to give their animals to God. It's one of those two. Verse four, now we get to this really interesting quote. Matthew says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. So here we clearly learn that Jesus gets the animals deliberately in order to fulfill a prophecy. And the prophecy, as we'll see, is from Zechariah. In that prophecy, it declares that the Messiah would arrive on a donkey, and in fact, on an ass and a colt. So Jesus could have entered Jerusalem however he likes, but he wants to ensure that he, as the Messiah, is fulfilling all of the prophecies relating to the Messiah. And this is one specific one that he has to make sure that he arranges and make sure that it happens. And this is the quote from the prophet Zechariah. Tell the daughter of Sion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on an ass, and on a colt, the foal of an ass. So that's from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. In context of the original Zechariah book, it is a prophecy. It's a prophecy that one day Jerusalem would see their king arrive on an ass and a colt. That's what Zechariah is saying to the people of Jerusalem. He doesn't say what king it is. He just says that one day there will be a king that does that. And by the time of Jesus, it had become quite recognized. Uh, Well, Solomon had entered 
um, Jerusalem in a similar way on a donkey, although Zechariah writes after the time of Solomon, so Zechariah can't be thinking of Solomon. So by the time of Jesus, people have worked out that it's basically a prophecy of the coming Messiah, the Messianic King. So the Jews at the time of Jesus expected the Messiah to enter Jerusalem in this way. So by Jesus choosing to to fulfill this prophecy, he can basically proclaim himself to be the Messiah, to be the king, without saying a single word. At the same time, though, notice in the prophecy, the king is coming in a humble way, meek and humble on a donkey, not on a horse or a chariot. So a king could arrive on a horse or a chariot. And so the fact that Jesus chooses to go with that Um, that model of using a donkey rather than something else, indicates that Jesus is highlighting that he does not want to be seen as a powerful military leader, which is what some people expected the Messiah to be. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the ass and the colt and put their garments on them. So, uh, the disciples put the garments on the animals to make the seat more comfortable for Jesus, basically. It's kind of like a saddle. And Jesus sat thereon. So Jesus is on the animals. He wants to look different from his apostles. It's the one time where he wants to stand out from the crowd. He's sitting on these animals. Now, there's some discussion about the translation here because it says he sat on them. And some scholars have wondered whether that means he's riding both the ass and the colt. Which one is he riding? Well, he's almost certainly not riding both at the same time because that's pretty hard to do. It would require a lot of flexibility and a lot of balance to ride both at the same time. Although that's possible, that would be quite unusual. Most likely, the them, when it says Jesus rode them, he's actually the them refers to the garments, as in Jesus is sitting on the garments, plural. Or it's also possible that he did ride each animal um, successively. He got off one, got on the other. So there's a few easy solutions there. So the scene now shifts to the road between the village and Jerusalem. So he's on the donkey and he's going from the small village, whichever village it is, to the road into Jerusalem. Verse 8, we're now introduced to the crowd. So this crowd is the crowd of believing disciples that have been following Jesus up to Jerusalem. It's Jesus' large crowd of disciples. They're about to make a royal procession for Jesus because this crowd recognizes that he is the Messiah. But keep in mind, though, that even his faithful followers here, the crowds, they believe him to be a political Messiah who's going to save them from the Romans. They don't really understand the nature of the Messiah. And that's why when Jesus is captured later, they all flee because they weren't expecting the Messiah to be captured like that. So his believing crowd is here. They're all very excited that Jesus is um, coming in as king, which is correct. It's just that they think that he's also proclaiming himself to be a military Messiah which is not correct. So they spread their garments on the road, and this is basically like spreading out a royal carpet, which we know they did do in the ancient world. It's an ancient custom for honouring kings. We see this happening in 2 Kings 9, chapter 13. That's how the Jewish people welcome their new king in 2 Kings chapter 9. They literally put their garments on the road. So it's a clear indication that they're recognising this man as their king. And that they recognize that he's fulfilling the prophecy of the Messiah King. So some people spread their garments on the road 
and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, this is an interesting one. It's a reference to Psalm 118, verse 27. In that psalm, it's a psalm about uh, going up to the temple, and it's like a festive procession. That It's a festive song, Psalm 118, that people would sing as they went up to the temple. And in that psalm, verse 27, it says that we will take branches and we will put them on the road in honour of the festive procession. Now, the crowd is then going to go on to recite more of Psalm 118, and we'll look at that shortly. So, this Psalm 118 is right in the crowd's mind as they see Jesus coming in. Now, we learn from the other Gospels that the kind of tree branches that they cut down are palm branches, hence why it's called Palm Sunday. It appears that there's nothing particularly significant about palm branches in and of themselves. It's just that they grew a lot in that area, and they're the branches that happen to be nearby. So people cut down the palm branches because those were the branches that were available. But both actions, putting the garments on the road and putting the palms on the road, are representations that they are welcome. They're spreading out this um, royal carpet for the king. They're recognizing Jesus as the king. Verse 9, the crowds went before him and, f- and they followed, shouting, So they're deliberately forming this royal procession before him and behind him so that the city will take notice. They want people to notice the king coming in. They're forming a large, loud royal procession. Now, Psalm 118, verse 25 to 26. Remember, this is a psalm that people would sing as they go up to the temple for major feasts. Here's what those verses say in Psalm 118. Save us, we beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech thee, give us success. Blessed be he who enters in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So keep that verse, um, that passage in mind as we explore the rest of the entrance to Jerusalem here. So now the crowd shouts this out, Hosanna to the son of David. The word Hosanna just means save us. So that comes straight out of what we just heard from Psalm 118. Remember, this, um, Psalm 118, verse 25 says, Save us, we beseech thee, O Lord. And that carries over as a transliteration. It becomes Hosanna. So the people here are shouting Hosanna. And by that time, it would become an expression of praise of God. To say Hosanna was praising God, basically. In connection with liturgical worship, you would say Hosanna during the liturgy. So what's the crowd doing here? saying, Hosanna to the son of David, or in other words, save us to the son of David. The crowd is doing two things here. They're praising God and they're asking God to save us through the son of David. And they're thinking here of political salvation. They're basically praying to God and saying to God, please save us through your Messiah. Please set us free. That's what Hosanna to the son of David means. Save us through your Messiah. Now, the phrase Son of David, as we've talked about a lot when we look at the Gospel of Matthew, it's a title reserved for the Messiah. Son of David means Messiah. All the Jews knew that the coming Messiah King would be descended from David, because that's what the Old Testament says, and so they look forward to the coming of this Son of David. So here, the believing crowd, when they call Jesus the Son of David, they're calling him the Messiah, the long-awaited one. And Jesus allows it for the first time. In other places, Jesus says, don't say anything. 
or he tries to run away when people call him Messiah. Here, he welcomes it. He welcomes the title. And the crowd goes on. So they've said, Hosanna to the son of David. Now they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is very similar, again, to Psalm 118, which says, blessed be he who enters in the name of the Lord. In this psalm, the blessing is invoked on pilgrims coming into the temple, as in entering the temple. But here, the crowd uses it to talk about Jesus. They're claiming that Jesus is the ultimate one who is literally coming in the name of the Lord, as in he's the messenger sent from the Lord, acting on his behalf. In the name of the Lord, Jesus, you know, Jesus has been sent as the messenger. And that's what the crowd is proclaiming. Here is our Messiah, the one who is sent on behalf of God. And then they finish by saying, Hosanna in the highest. And essentially that means they're invoking God's highest blessings, heaven's highest blessings, and they're invoking or praying for the salvation that the Messiah is about to bring. Hosanna in the highest. Save us in the highest. So those words that we've just heard that the crowd yells out as Jesus comes in, Hosanna in the highest, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They come out of Psalm 118, and they're also things the crowd shouts here. They should be familiar to you because they're things that we say as part of the Eucharistic prayers during Mass. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is yet another example of how our Catholic Mass is very similar, and it's based heavily on the Jewish liturgy. Verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, there's only a few main entrances to Jerusalem. So the royal procession, everyone would have seen him coming into one of these gates and it would have attracted a lot of attention. So all the city was stirred saying, who is this? So the people of Jerusalem can see this loud royal procession coming in. They want to know who it is that's sitting on the animals. Who is this guy that they're proclaiming as king? Remember that at this time, the people in Jerusalem are from all over Israel. There's all these pilgrims there. Some people recognize Jesus. Probably some people don't. They've never seen him before in their life. So they have a legitimate question. Who is this? Now, this is a fairly similar reaction to earlier in Matthew. So Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men arise in Jerusalem, arrive in Jerusalem, and they announce that the king of the Jews has been born... It's a similar reaction. Matthew says, all of Jerusalem was disturbed at the news of the wise men. And it's a fairly similar reaction here. All of Jerusalem is disturbed at the news of the king. So there's probably a parallel here that Matthew is deliberately highlighting. So the whole city is troubled, apparently, or stirred is the word that's used here. The Romans would be troubled as any rival king, which is what Jesus apparently was being pronounced as, would be considered to be a threat to Caesar. So the Romans would be worried. The Jewish leaders and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, they're probably troubled as well. Perhaps they felt that their own leadership positions were under threat because if the Messiah or the king is truly here, he might depose them. And we also and we know that the Sanhedrin has been waiting for Jesus to arrive so that they can arrest him. So everyone is very tense in Jerusalem as he arrives. And so the crowd answers. They say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So this crowd, his crowd of believing disciples, is more than happy to tell the people of Jerusalem who it is. Now, that's the end of our passage. If you read on in Matthew chapter 21, the very next thing Jesus does is he cleanses the temple. 
he overturns the tables in the temple, which is not what they expected the Messiah to do. Now, where does this passage from Palm Sunday appear in the Catechism? There's one particular paragraph, which is basically a description, a commentary on what Palm Sunday is. So, paragraph 559 is in the section about Jesus' messianic entrance into Jerusalem. Here's what it says. How will Jerusalem welcome her Messiah? Although Jesus had always refused popular attempts to make him king, he now chooses the time and prepares the details for his messianic entry into the city of his father David. Acclaimed as son of David, as the one who brings salvation, Hosanna means save or give salvation. The king of glory enters his city riding on an ass. Jesus conquers the daughter of Zion, a figure of his church, neither by ruse nor by violence, but by the humility that bears witness to the truth. And so the subjects of his kingdom on that day are children and God's poor, who acclaim him as the angels had when they announced him to the shepherds. Their acclamation, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord, is taken up by the church in the sanctus of the Eucharistic liturgy, that introduces the memorial of the Lord's Passover. So there's a lot in that passage, and from that we learn that the Catholic Church teaches this was a real event, it did happen, this is how Jesus rode into Jerusalem. What the crowd said informs us about our Eucharistic liturgy, and Jesus choosing to ride in on an ass tells us about his humility and his character. He's not a political messiah. And also that this is foreordained. Jesus deliberately sets up the details of his entrance to Jerusalem. And then in paragraph 439, in the section about Christ, we have a brief discussion about how the people at the time understood the word Messiah or Christ. It says, Many Jews and even certain Gentiles who shared their hope recognized in Jesus the fundamental attributes of the Messianic Son of David, promised by God to Israel. Jesus accepted the rightful title of Messiah, though with some reserve because it was understood by some of his contemporaries in too human a sense as essentially political. And we certainly see that amongst the crowd in Matthew chapter 21 here. They think he's a political Messiah, as we've talked about a lot in this podcast. So that's our passage for today, a really interesting one, I'm sure you'd agree. There's a lot going on behind the text, particularly in terms of the prophecies about the donkey and Psalm 118. It all comes together here as Jesus enters Jerusalem. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you think others would benefit, please share it, uh, leave a rating on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, get this out to as many people as possible. Let's spread the word about the good news of Jesus and about how we can approach the Bible in this academic, literal way. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. Thank you.